0: It's Brian Preston, the money guy. Restoring order to your financial chaos, retirement, investing, taxes. You've got financial questions, he's got financial answers. It's Brian Preston, the money guy. Well, I hope everybody had a great Thanksgiving, and now you're getting ready for um, Christmas, you know, in the holiday season here. This is going to be the final show for 2008. I want to thank you guys personally for giving us a great 2008. We picked up obviously many more subscribers. I feel like truly, when I talk about we're trying to build a movement, that we are try- starting to actually build some some traction to to making that dream happen. And I'm I'm looking forward to 2009 when we're going to expand a lot of things. I've got some. Uh, I've got a new associate coming online right in January who's going to be working full time. Then I'm going to make one of his big job responsibilities to make sure that we focus and spend as much time as necessary to to really make The Money Guy Show a tremendous resource for you and your family, and putting you on the right track to, to building that, that personal financial independence just brings tremendous amount of peace of mind and everything else that comes with being financially independent. But if you're brand new to the show, let me introduce myself. My name is Brian Preston. I'm the host for The Money Guy Show, and I know it's been a few weeks since we did a show, but... Let's face it, we just came through the holidays. Thanksgiving was awesome. How many of you went crazy on Black Friday? Because i got to tell you, this year was probably the easiest Black Friday day for me the entire time I've been you know, looking forward to this type of shopping, the years I've been looking forward to the post-Thanksgiving sales out there. And what made it so easy this year is that retailers are so scared that none of us are spending money that they um, made the deals available on Wednesday, all day Thursday through the Internet. And then even, you know, you didn't have to wait until Friday to go out there. So I didn't even have to set my alarm for 4.35 in the morning to go out there and get those doorbusters because I was able to go on like Sears.com Wednesday night at 8 o'clock before Thanksgiving and buy the TV I wanted. It was great. I mean, it was truly incredible how easy this year was. I got a good night's sleep and didn't even have to go out there and, and break down the doors and, and get in the fight with everybody else out there to, to get the incredible deals because they were there on the Internet, which is something that was kind of new this year, that they, they, they opened it up both on Wednesday and Thursday so that we could get in there and get the best deals possible. Now, what I'm going to be focusing on for this last show of 2008 is closing out 2008. I want to give you guys some, some ideas of some books that you could go out and read Maybe if you're setting a New Year's resolution where you want to be more financially independent and make better financial decisions, I've got you some resources that you can go out to our website. That's money-guy.com. If you want to go check out the show notes and and get those links to those books that I'm about to talk about. As well as I want to just give you a challenge, a 2009 challenge where you know if you don't like your personal station, your financial, where you fall in the, the dominoes of life with your personal finances, this is the year coming up to make some changes. Let's face it, sometimes the best opportunities are in the darkest of times. I mean, I started my company um, in 2002, which was uh, another dreadful time out there in the financial markets, but now looking back on it, it turned out to be a really good time because if, if, you can, you know, if you've gone down to the bottom... And you have nowhere to go but up if you think about it in those terms, which can be very, very positive to you and your family being able to build that financial independence that you're looking for. I'm also going to talk about how you have to be careful um, with the limitations of human behavior and the psychology of of trying to invest in a short-term marketplace. And then I'm going to close out the show with just a few quick thoughts on um the situation that's going on with the big three auto manufacturers here in the United States because I've actually have some listeners up in um Michigan that have provided me some insight and then I even have I know um I know a gentleman personally who um owned a, a Ford dealership up in, in, in the Michigan and and he's since sold that Ford dealership but um he I had a chance to see him last night at a social event and he provided me some insight into his thoughts on things. So I'll share all that with you. As you can tell, we have a lot to get going with, so let's jump right into the topics. So, the first thing I want to talk about is the 2009 challenge. Is that, you know, I know 2008 is coming to a close, and this is the time of the year, as I've already mentioned, that everybody starts having, you know, the, the New Year's resolutions and trying to figure out how they make 2009 a better year than 2008 was. Well, I wanted to provide you with a, with a few thoughts. First, if you are unhappy with where you are in life you don't think you make enough money because let's let's talk about let's get down to the to the core issue if you've you know if you're a young person listening to this show the sky's the limit on what you can do just make sure the biggest advice I can give you is don't spend more than you make if you can start off with you know, controlling your expectations on how much you're owed to yourself with new cars and gadgets and everything else, and you start saving and paying yourself first with that 15 to 20 percent of your gross wages going into investments. And I'm talking about your 401ks and your employer retirement plans too. But if you can get a habit of that, it's all easy. But for those of you who who are more into your financial life, maybe you've already bought the farm where you have the wife, the the husband. The you know the the children you've got the mortgage you've got a little different situation than the person who's just starting out if, if you're if you've already bought the farm and meaning you've bought into the american dream of you know getting the wife the family the kids and everything else and the house you've got a scenario where if you've got a lot of debt and other things the only way you can really pick yourself out of the situation is either you have to make more money or you have to slow down on how much you're spending well, if you've already cut your spending down to bare bones, there's only no one other way to get yourself into a better situation and that's to make more money. And if you look around for your current, you know, work where you're wherever you're employed or working, and you just don't see a lot of upside in the coming years, you might want to reevaluate what's going on. Success is much easier than you think. You just have to believe what your talents are, and also kind of figure out what those talents are. I know that's – I really do believe that all of us are born with talents that we can do better than anybody else. Maybe you're not book smart, but maybe you're you very good with your hands. I mean, that's the thing I've always thought about when my father was alive is that I have to pay somebody to go fix everything. You know, if something goes wrong with my car, I have no idea what's wrong with it, so I have to go get it fixed. But there are people like my father was who maybe – Didn't have, you know, great grades in school and other things, but was incredibly good with common sense. And then also he could take apart anything and put it back together and fix it. And and there's a huge talent in that. And you believe me, I have a lot of clients who are very wealthy who weren't necessarily your traditional book smart people. Maybe they own a metal fabrication plant that that they've made them extremely wealthy. Maybe they do, um, you know, heating and air. You know there's all kind of things that you'd be surprised where wealth is created. You just have to have a passion and also kind of know what your talents are. So if if you're if you're looking around yourself, you know, looking around all the people around you at work and you're not seeing a lot of upside potential, go out there and consider going that road less traveled. And and I know it's hard, but it, you know, it it's one of those things where people think that they can't do it and that's the worst thing that can happen i think life is a lot easier than you realize it is just that human beings are negative creatures you can see that by looking around you right now when you know when the stock market's down and the financial marketplace is not done what everybody had hoped during 2008 we're all talking about how we're in a brand new paradigm you know how the world's changing you know i read articles all the time that this is going to be the first market in the world in the in history where instead of the market recovering six months before the economy does, you go see, you go, we're gonna to have to wait to see some economic recovery before the markets recover. That's crazy. People are making up things just to make it fit their current world perspective. Because I'm telling you, humans are negative creatures. So rise above that. Go the road less traveled. You know, what's funny is I work with a lot of small business owners and people who have gone out there and gone that road less traveled. Maybe it's not the easy path, but it's definitely the path that will put you in a different situation than you currently are. And And people think that, that they did all this for the wealth, but I got to tell you, and I say it all the time, wealth is a side effect. It really is. Wealth is a side effect of finding a career that works with your personal passion and what makes you happy. If you talk to a small business owner, somebody who's been very successful, and you ask them about about those beginning years, and that's what you'd be facing if you went out on your own, I think you're gonna see, and I've talked about this in the past, but it's been a while, how it, they, I don't wanna say they glaze over, but they that you can tell them they're kind of looking into the past. You know, they kind of look through, look to the distance. I, I've seen it many, many times. Where they're remembering how hard fought it was, you know how they had that fear, where they were wondering where the next where the next customer was going to come from, you know the next contract was going to come from that was going to help them to build that building block that will build a successful business, and there's a sense of accomplishment. You can totally see it in in these these successful people's faces when they tell you that, and that's one of the things I'm telling you. If you are in a situation now where you're not happy, consider making a change. You can do it. The road less traveled, there's a reason it's less traveled. There's a lot of stuff you have to do. You have to save money. You have to have that emergency reserves. So you have to make sure you prepare the family. You have to make sure it's well thought out and that you know, your intention is in the right place and that your passion is as strong as you think it is. If all that checks out, the sky's the limit on what you can do. So really take an inventory. Don't wait too late because I think one of the, the saddest things I see, and I see it from time to time when I do some volunteer work and other things, is when people have gone their entire life, worked for 35 to 40 years, and been miserable the entire time. That that breaks you over time. It really does. It can break that that human spirit. And, and I don't want that to happen to you. I want you to go out and, and where you you wake up, you know, on Monday morning and you can't wait to get out of bed and get to work. It really is something's possible. And I want you to make 2009 that year for you. If you're one of these people, maybe you look at your 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 path and you make decent money. But your demon is debt. You know, I see that all the time where people are making well into the six figures. But yet there's still no money left over to save for retirement or to do other goals that they might need. And, and people are always amazed that they get themselves in these situations. And, and if that's your problem, I've talked about Dave Ramsey in the past on the show. I've even done a review of my thoughts. And sure, I disagree on with Dave on a few things. But I think overall, if you're one of these people that's in debt, Dave Ramsey can be a huge resource. So I put a link on my website, if you go to money-guy.com, to his book, The Total Money Makeover. That book, I have seen it because, we, I, you know, at my church, we, they have the Financial Peace um, University at there, and, and it's it's all over my county. I, I think every church, you know, that that I've been in for either upward basketball or cheerleading or any of the other churches I've been to just for, you know, events in the community— I think everybody's doing the Dave Ramsey program. And what I've realized is that there is a large portion of our population that does have a lot of credit card debt and a lot of debt issues. And if you need something to get you motivated to get out of that, because it's half of it's mental, you have to break the cycle of where you can't—you don't have the self-control to stop spending. And if that's the case, I think Dave Ramsey is a huge resource to put your mind in the right perspective to get that debt under control. And hopefully you'll remember these dark times because this is this is truly educational if you can if you can kind of bottle up what you're feeling during these dark times that can be a huge resource when we get into good times so we don't repeat the same mistakes so if you have debt go consider you know Dave Ramsey's total money makeover it might be a good thing to read right before the holidays and start 2009 afresh with a, a new perspective on how you can handle your personal finances when it comes concerning debt now if you're brand new to, to, to looking at your personal finances and you say, Brian, I love listening to your podcast, but sometimes I just feel overwhelmed because I don't know where to start. I don't know a good resource to start figuring out what to do with my personal finances. Don't worry, I've got you a book too. That book is, and, I've talk, and I haven't talked about this in years, but it is truly my favorite personal finance book. And it's not because the information is so heavy and thick that it's going to put you to sleep when you read. You know, that's why I think a lot of people are scared about personal finance books, is that they're worried if they get them that, that all they're going to do is cause them to go to sleep because it's so boring and reads like a textbook. The Wealthy Barber by by David Chilton. And it's been around for a while. I'll go ahead and confess that to you. This book has been around a good bit of time, but it's still, the the, the principles it teaches are timeless. But what's great about this book is that it reads like a storybook. it's Like I said, it's nothing like a textbook and it's a quick read. And it basically goes through all the different scenarios that you're going to face in life. You know, buying a house, you know, looking at insurance, you know, looking at investments. It is a great, great resource. i also tell you, if you have children who maybe are in high school or about to graduate from college and, and you feel like, you know, maybe they don't have the right perspective on how much they are blessed to have parents who, you know, who have built some financial assets, and you're worried that you're not passing that same knowledge down to them, this book is great for that, too. I mean, i got to tell you, i read this book. You know, it's been many, many years. This is one of the books that was a big catalyst for me wanting to do this for a living. But I remember when I read this book back in the 90s, I went and got a copy for every one of my friends because my thought process was back then as I was saving, I've always been a saver. I'm kind of that miserly guy. You know, as I've joked with you guys, I was the kid back in high school that could take girls out for seven dollars. You know, and we'd go to the dollar movie, we'd go to Farmore and smuggle in some um, M&Ms, and then, you know, we'd go to Taco Bell for dinner afterwards. I mean, that, that was, I've always been the miserly kid that, you know, had money in his pocket. And I think that's why, you know, my passion has transitioned so well. But a lot of my friends didn't have that same thought process. So what I realized was, is that if I could give them this book, Maybe I could motivate them to start saving too because when I retire I knew I was going to be able to retire and be financially independent at some point in my life, and when that comes, I didn't want to do it alone I mean half the half the fun of my life is you know having great friends around me that I can go play golf with, go on annual trips and, and do other fun stuff so I felt like hey I've got to go influence my circle of friends around me so that they'll do the right decisions too and so I bought the copies of this book for every every one of them and you know what's interesting that year that I bought that book for every one of them all of them did IRA contributions and they still a lot of them I'm still you know helping them out you know I don't the, some of them have turned into clients. some of them I'm just um, helping out as on a friend friendship basis but all of them are now saving for for retirement as well and I, and I attribute a lot of that to the wealthy barber so go check that out at our website too at money guycom the other one is um if you're curious to know how millionaires live and think, a book that I like to talk about is The The Millionaire Next Door. Now, I will tell you, The Millionaire Next Door reads a little bit more like your tr- traditional personal finance book. It's got um, you know, a lot of facts and figures in it, but it's still incredible, incredible information. I've shared a lot of information out of that book in past podcasts, talking about you know, if you want to talk about if you have... you know, One of the, the key indicators if you're going to be successful in life is if you have children who don't live off of your personal assets too. You know, and, and it talks about economic outpatient care and all kind of things. So if you if you're one of these people that maybe you have children that you're having trouble with them, you know, they're they're 30 years old and still living in the house, maybe you need to read this book to read the the thought process that you need to have to reevaluate yourself. Or maybe you're a successful sibling and you have a brother or sister who's still milking off your parents. Maybe you need to read this book so maybe you can give some constructive you know advice to to your parents yeah, there's all kind of resources it also talks about just you know what what does the average millionaire do for a living what type of vehicles they drive really good stuff that i think will help you understand what makes you know the the thought process that goes into pe- people who are successful and how that's different than a lot of people out there um it, you know i said last week and i got a lot of response from it and i'll say it again i hope i don't upset people but i had a client tell me You know, and I've heard this before, but it's the first time I've repeated it on the show, is that he said, Brian, you realize, and like I said, this is one of my client's comments. He said, Brian, if you took all the wealth in the world, or let's just say the United States, shook it up and divvied it out, spread it out equally, let's just say that because my, my tongue's getting a little tired today, but if you spread it out equally, you know, wait 10 to 15 years, a lot of the wealth would probably come back to a lot of the same places because a lot of this is behavior. And, you know, it is, you know, we all, some of us look at money and the, and, the, and the resource that it is, the tool that it is, differently than others. Some live like tomorrow, you know, today is the last day of their life, and others uh, like myself and many of you who are listening realize that you've got to think 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 years down in the future because there, there's some powerful tools that work in your favor if you start young, like compounding interest. So I I think those are all some great, great books and resources that you can go check out if you're trying to figure out how you can start 2009 with a fresh perspective. Because a lot of you guys are always looking for resources, so I've provided you links. Go out there and check them out, money-guy.com. I've put links to every one of those books. Now I want to talk to you. I know 2008 was a scary, scary year, and I think something that's going to be important to remember It's just how emotion and and human behavior interact with the financial markets in the short term. Remember, financial markets in the short term are driven by that fear and greed. In the long term, they're driven by economic indicators and profits and earnings of companies. But in the short term, they are very much driven by the fear and greed of the marketplace. A lot of emotions built into that. So uh, I wanted to tell you that a lot of you guys are starting, because I had a, i'll go ahead and say it i I do some volunteer work for a hospice where i've set them up a retirement plan i don't make a dime off of it and um one of their participants husbands called me up and was all upset because um you know he his wife had done an investment different than what he wanted to do and of course with this market that we've been in it's lost some money and and he he basically berated me telling me that, you know, I can't believe, you know, that, that you guys do this type of stuff. Uh, you know, talking about investments, he said, you know, buy and hold is dead. You know, you guys have lost it. your clients, tons of money, they'll never make it back. And all these it just it was total garbage coming out of his mouth. And I was sitting there going, holy cow, I can't wait for the market to turn on this guy in the next two years. So once again, history Shows that this is all garbage because I hear this stuff more and more. You hear it in the news media now too, is that buy and hold is dead, and I can't wait. And I know it's going to happen. And that's that. That's the beauty. Of, you know, not that revenge, but you hear that statement all the time: a revenge is best served on a cold platter. Well, I, I, I'm not seeking revenge, but I can't wait to get that I told you so moment when all this stuff turns on everybody. Because remember, a lot of times, financial marketplaces, stock markets recover in a V pattern, meaning they hit the bottoms and then they quickly recover. And it's going to recover quicker than people realize. And it's going to spin their head. And, and I, I love to, to go over some scary facts and figures. And I've used these in the past, but I want to show you how bad, because remember, as I told you in, in the previous segment that we were talking about, is that humans are very negative creatures. We focus on the negativity of, of situations. And I've used the, this information before. There's always there's an annual research study that comes out by Dalbar, and I've got a, a whole link to their to their information, but they've got the quantitative analysis of investor behavior. And listen to this stuff. This is from 1987 to 2007, a 20-year period. They figured out, just looking at the S&P 500, the Lehman Brothers, government bond index, as well as just measuring inflation. And what they found out was is that over the last 20 years, and they also look at managed equity mutual funds, meaning United States equity mutual funds, and compare that to the S&P 500, so it's an apples-to-apples comparison. But what they found out in this study, and I've used this before, and I I think it's powerful, is that inflation over the last 20 years, all the way through 2007, was 3.04%. The average bond investor, according to their research, has only returned annualized, meaning per year. Remember, inflation's 3% a year. The average bond investor has only returned 1.5% per year over that time period, not even keeping pace with inflation. The average equity investor, meaning the average stock investor, has averaged 4.48%. That's only a little bit better than inflation, maybe close to 1.4% better than inflation. If you'd have just bought the long-term government bond index, you'd have made 7.5%. If you'd have bought just the S&P 500, you'd have made 11.81% during the exact same period of time. Now you ask yourself, okay, that's, that's kind of, you, know, you scratch your head a little bit and you go, well, wait a minute, the average equity investor made 4.4%, inflation was at 3 they beat inflation, sure, but then the S&P 500 was at a, close to a 12%. What happened? What's the difference? And I'll tell you what the difference is. And I have all kind of research and everything else is that we are terribly negative creatures, as I've already talked about. And we hoard cash at the worst times. You know, you start to get, we all hear the the adage that we want to buy low and sell high. Yet, when is the winter price is low? It's when nobody else wants it. And that's typically when everybody's hoarding cash and putting it over the side. And that's why if you look at the average holding period, the retention period over the last 20 years, the, for an equity holder, the average holding of an equity mutual fund, according to the Dalbar study, was a little over three years. For a fixed income investor or a guy buying bonds and jumping in and out of bonds, it's a little over three years. And then for asset allocation funds, it's a little bit longer. It's four, a little over four years. But remember what I've told you guys time and time again, a core basic principle for, for personal finance is that a long-term investor, if you, you know, don't put anything in the stock or bond market unless you can let go of it on a long-term basis, which is at least five to seven years. What is that number about retention, meaning average holding period, for before somebody buys something and says, oh, this stinks, I'm selling it and getting out of it and getting into something else, when it's only three years on average for the, the, the bonds and stocks? That tells you people aren't, aren't, aren't following that. They're not really doing the long-term buying hold. They're, they're kind of bouncing in and out. The, something they bought, because they maybe read in Kiplinger's it was the 2007 fund of the year, they bought it, and then what did it do in 2008? It tanked. So they, they wait you know a year or two, and then they say, well, you know what? I'm getting out of this thing. It's a dog. Well, guess what? Right the year that they got out is the year that, that it goes up. They chase the hot dot. And that's, that's an awful way to manage your money. And you see it time and time again. Also remember what I tell you. If you go and look at how many, how, how many economic cycles you go through, meaning the market you know, going up and down, you typically have two economic cycles every decade, meaning that you will probably have a recession or you'll have a downturn in the stock markets and the financial markets twice every decade. And it's quite interesting to me that if you even look at asset allocation funds, The average holding period is a little over four years. That ties quite nicely to people when the market starts getting a little bit ugly. They get the heck out because they get scared. And those are usually the maximum points of opportunity is when everybody else is scared to death. And that's why you're looking at yourself right now going, Brian, who would want to invest in this stock market right now? It's insane out there. I'm telling you, I'm not saying go bet the whole farm on it. But have a diversified asset allocation, an allocation that reflects your risk, reflects your long-term goals. But do not just be hoarding your money in cash, waiting for better days. Because when better days come, it's going to be too late. And I know that you know a lot of you are probably like that caller who called me last week and was telling me buying hold is dead. Uh, but wow, do you, do you realize what a limb you're on by, by making such a dire prediction? I mean, we've had Great Depressions. We've had the adjustments of the early 70s. We've had the lows of the early 80s. This looks very, very similar. The problem is, is that a lot of us weren't investing back in the 70s, weren't investing back in 81 and 82. You know, so you don't remember how bad it was back during those times. So we we think that we're in a brand new period that's never been experienced before. That's hogwash. But it's just because... We, you know, like I said, negative creatures, we put everything and frame it in our life lifespan and don't go back and look at history. So I I hope that helps out if you, you know, I I think it's quite interesting. You've got to be careful getting caught up in the short term, you know, market fluctuations. I think you've got to look at things and say, look, if I don't need this money for five to seven years, we're going to be okay, and, and calm down about the whole thing. So let's close out the show. Talking about what's going on with the big three automakers, I um, am fortunate because I do this show, I, I have some resources that I have you know you guys write me, and sometimes I have a chance to see where you guys live you know by, by you know, your email address or you even tell me in the email and, and I follow up with a few of you if you're in a, an interesting place. you know back during the election, I found um, one of my listeners wrote me who lived from the same small hometown of Sarah Palin. so I wrote him. You know, and said, "Hey, give me give me your insight on on your governor, you know, or who's in your hometown, you know." And that was kind of interesting. So I love having that resource that you that we do have um, a worldwide audience. We we have people listening to us all over the country, and and we do have some listeners up in Michigan. And a, a few of you have written me, and and I asked you, I said, "Hey, give me give me the down low, uh, you know, of what's going on up there in the state of Michigan, and especially with the auto manufacturers." And this is what One of my listeners wrote me back. They actually went above and beyond and even went and asked some of their friends and family who were directly tied into the auto manufacturers. And this is what he wrote me back. And I'm going to read this word for word. It says, honestly, they talk about the trickle-down effect and how this affects more than just the big three. It's already happening. Chrysler and GM are already not paying their bills on time leaving our customers like, and he actually names off uh, some, some suppliers. I'm not going to get into names besides just listing the big three, but it says they just left hanging out there. They in turn are not paying us for products shipped because they cannot pay everyone and have no cash coming in. We have a pr- pretty significant line of credit, and we are already capping that out trying to pay our suppliers on time. We're not paying now either. We just don't have that kind of money. Usually in a situation like this where the customer is not paying their bills, we would not ship them parts and then they would pay their bills to keep production going. Problem is, nobody's selling cars right now in the auto industry and so they really don't care if we threaten not to ship the product. They don't need the parts. I don't have a good knowledge of bankruptcy laws, so I'll stick to what I know. If they default on payments, owed to us, and we have to write down this debt, it will assuredly put us out of business. And we're just part of a supplier... A small supplier that makes a a few grab handles and overhead consoles. What happens to the guys who make the other 999,000 components that go into a car? And I think that's a great, great point. He closes out his point, and then I'm going to give you my own thoughts on this. It goes, overall, if GM Chrysler file, it's bad news for Michigan. I heard a stat the other day that one in five jobs in the nation has ties to the auto industry. Look at my family. My brother, sister-in-law, dad, and myself all have jobs in the auto industry. In an extended family of seven, four people have jobs in the auto industry. Anyway, I've mulled over this topic a while, and I need to get back to work. There's a bunch more that I could write because there are so many angles to all this. It's just overall tough. Our company is doing everything it can to survive, and in the end, it's out of our control. That's a hard pill to swallow. So I I thought that was great feedback, and I want to add, I think a lot of people are feeling this because I do think the auto industry is very crucial to the country but i gotta tell you i am a little frustrated and this is my take outside of being in michigan and but i do have a friend who actually owned a dealership up in michigan and he's moved down you know he's like most people who retire up north a lot of them move down here to the south and and i I live in a a golf community so we've had a few transplants from the area and and he owned a, a very large big three dealership up there in the michigan area and he sold and moved down to georgia and and I had a chance to see him last night at a social function, and I was talking to him, and I asked him what his take of the whole situation was. Because I try to get input from a lot of different stakeholders. I really do, because you guys know when I talk about on this podcast, I hate to talk about politics. And a lot of this stuff, to me, feels like it gets into a whole political discussion. I try to stay away from that because I think... You know, one of the things I never wanted the Money Guy show to be about was trying to change people's political or religious views because I I know I have a lot of friends from different mindsets, and and I never, you get in big fights when you get in that stuff. But some of this stuff does overlap with our financial world, and I can't help but talk about it to a degree. And when I talked to this dealer, well, this retired dealer who sold his dealership, you know, at a good time, obviously, he was telling me that he does think a lot of it comes down to labor. And and you know and I have relatives who worked for the Ford, um, manufac you know the facility down here before they closed it down. So I understand what he's talking about. But he's talking about how if you do an apples to apples comparison, where if you compare the wages of the big three auto manufacturers to the wages of our you know the the manufacturers that you know Toyota, Honda that have you know plants in America with American workers, but building foreign you know, automobiles, their wages are significantly lower. Now, I know that the president of the UAW got on TV last Friday and was saying that actually Toyota pays more. But if you notice, there was a key thing he said in his statement. He said he was comparing Toyota with bonus compared to UAW workers, and notice he didn't use the word bonus. So I don't think that's a fair, fair comparison. It's not an apples-to-apples comparison. It's an apples to oranges comparison because... He used the word bonus. And when do you get bonuses is when companies are doing very well. I will tell you, I think everyone out there right now is just like me. My company's income is off significantly. And I've made cuts. We've, you know, I haven't cut any payroll or I haven't cut any wages for, I haven't, for my employees. But me personally, I've had to make some cuts. And I've had many hard discussions with my wife about how we have to circle the wagons during this hard, hard time. And I find it very frustrating to a degree is that we see an imbalance when you do an apples to apples comparison between other profitable manufacturers to what we've created here in the states and I don't understand why there's no give there because I want them to survive I want the workers to make it I I think it's crucial to have American car manufacturers build American cars just because you know I always think about the doomsday scenario if we were ever in some crazy world War or anything else like we had back in World War II, where it was a lot of the manufacturers like that that retooled to help out with the war effort. And I think it's important to have that. But I do not understand. I'll tell you what I think's going on. Talking about politics, I think there's a cat and mouse game going on with the unions. I don't think it's the union workers. I think it's the union upper, you know, the decision makers who are, are kind of getting into a very dangerous game of Russian roulette, where they're gambling that they don't have to make any concessions because it's going to happen. And I know they've made other concessions, but when you actually get down to the nuts and bolts of wages, they have not made concessions on benefits and wages. And that's what needs to go into it. And they're not willing to do it because they want those concessions to come from someplace else. And they feel like if they just hold out long enough, they'll get what they want. And I think that's a dangerous, dangerous game because do I have to remind you guys, I know it's been many, many years, but Eastern Airlines... Down here, you know, over here on the east side of the country, Eastern Airlines was a big airline industry, and they ended up striking themselves out of a job. And I'm worried that we're headed down that same path. I think people would be much more willing to take, you know, some percentage pay cut but still have a job and keep the country going and get these suppliers paid because the trickle-down effect is tremendous. But it seems like that there's a big game going on up in Washington between the lawmakers and the unions, And and, and I don't like that cat-and-mouse game. I think everybody needs to kind of grow up, realize that these are big, big cards that they're holding in their hand. A lot of the country is relying upon them because there's a lot more at stake than just them. Let's get competitive again because I I do not want to see some type of bailout where in two years we're in the exact same situation. Let's go ahead and fix the problem at its core, get things straightened out so we can come out of this thing even stronger. And then maybe we can have that stat that the union president gave where you talk about UAW workers with bonus, with bonus for having more profitability than they've had in number of years when this thing turns, getting paid more than any other supplier, you know, any other auto manufacturer out there. That's what I like. I like when you're rewarded for doing a job well done. And right now, when you go look at GM and the number of cars they created Toyota how many cars they created and then compare their profit margins over the last 2 to 3 years. I think you'll see who's done the job well and who hasn't and that scares me because I think auto manufacturers ha- definitely have a place in the United States and we need to do everything we can to help them out. Keep them out of bankruptcy, but we've got to have some give from the from from the labor. I really do believe that because we've all circled the wagons. I think it's time that that Everybody else give back just a little bit more, too, because this is serious, serious stuff. Now, let's close this thing out on a nice, fun note, is that you guys have been great to me in 2008. You left me great feedback on iTunes. You, more of you subscribed. You told your friends and family about it. We got huge, huge changes in 2009 coming with the website and other things. I'm working on the research on that right now. I can't wait to be your your foundation where you can come to to get good objective advice on your personal finances. Feel free to contact the show. You can write me at Brian B R I A N at money guy. You can also go check out our website money dash guy dot com and sign up for our newsletter. So you know if you just go over there on the upper right hand corner, you can get our, our email blast every time we update the show. Go check us out. I've thoroughly enjoyed 2008 with you. Let's just hope 2009 on the financial market side is as rewarding as you guys have been to me in 2008. Hope you have a great year. Get those financial resolutions in order. And let's let's have a really, really successful year coming up. I'll talk to you in 2009. I'm your host, Brian Preston. The Money Guy podcast is hosted by Brian Preston. And Brian Preston is a partner with Preston & Cleveland Wealth Management.